And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to that amazing, credible Kenny Everett show, one of those swinging, of the swinging England set today that you probably come across. A lot of records playing and you know generally get together and none of your fbi playing in the background of no amplifiers <laughs> this is paul mccartney saying this is where chris denning's at this is where it's at chris take it thank you paul yes this is chris denning on the first of the new 90 minute where it's at programs and apart from the usual show for this week only a special bonus kenny everett here in the studio talks to the beatles on their new lp sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band for an introduction over to our commentator john lennon we're sitting in the hush semicircular theater and waiting for the sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band to come on and here they come now playing the first number one let's go all right Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the album which the Beatles had spent the best part of the last six months writing, recording and perfecting, had been set for release on the 1st of June 1967. However, in an event which is fairly commonplace today, Pirate Radio received an advanced copy of the album on the quiet and proceeded to play it from outside the five mile limit to millions of people on the mainland. In an effort to prevent the Beatles' latest official masterpiece being overshadowed, and possibly a reduction in record sales, EMI decided to rush release the LP on both sides of the Atlantic, moving its birth forward by just a few days. It went on, of course, to become an iconic part of the 1960s, influential in every sense, from its novel recording techniques to its flamboyant packaging. While A Day in the Life was swiftly banned by the BBC for its use of the words turn you on, its sound would echo through the summer of love and beyond. Paul McCartney recalls the instantaneous effect that Sgt Pepper had on fellow artists. After we'd recorded it, we got all the artwork together and we released it on a Friday night it used to release in, in London. And um, Brian Epstein had this place called the Savile Theatre where he used to have shows on a Sunday night and he'd have people like Chuck Berry, great people, you know, so we'd always go along to see them. There was nothing else happening on a Sunday night. And this Sunday after the Friday that Pepper was released, uh, Jimi Hendrix was due to play. So, like, you know, I was 
good friend of Jimmy's and a really major fan of his because he was just like a bolt from the blue, you know, amongst guitarists. And uh, I used to go to all his gigs, you know, because he was just there in London, like 10 minutes away, you know. So, And um, so I went down to the Savile that night. And lo and behold, here comes Jimmy, and he opens with Sgt. Pepper, which he only got released on Friday. So he just opened with it, you know, it's just like, all right, you know, that was it, man. That was it, that's my favorite sort of memory of that song. I mean, talk about a compliment. Hey! And it was 20 years ago today. Sgt. Never ones to rest on their laurels, the Beatles were back to work at Abbey Road Studio Number 3 on the 25th of April 1967 to begin the title track for the Beatles' next project. acetate copy of an early mono mix of Take 8 of Magical Mystery Tour, as it sounded on the 27th of April, 
with Paul on grand piano played through a rotating Leslie speaker, John on acoustic guitar, George on electric guitar, and Ringo on drums. Paul would then overdub his bass part and the other Beatles, plus road managers Neil Aspinall and Mal Evans, provided percussion. Backing vocals were then added by Paul, John and George. This would become the title song for the Beatles' new film, which, like so many Beatles projects at this time, had a rather unusual genesis. The Beatles and Beatles Insider Neil Aspinall explain. It was Paul's idea. It was basically a sharabang trip, which people used to go on from Liverpool to see the Blackpool lights, and they'd get, you know, loads of crates of beer and an accordion player and all get pissed and basically and just go pissed in the English sense meaning drunk and uh, just go to see Blackpool Lights and it was kind of like that it was uh, it was a very flimsy kind of thing I think it was Paul's idea I know that he and John sat down prompt I think in Paul's place in St John's Wood and they just like drew a circle Right, and then marked it off like the spokes on the wheel, you know? And it was really, um, you know, we can have a, a song here, you know, we can have this here, we can have this dream sequence there, we can have that there, and they, they sort of mapped it out, but it was a pretty rough. And then he came and showed me what his idea was, and this is how it went, it went around like this, the story, and he had it all, you know, I think, production, and he says, well, here's the segment, you write a little piece for that. Uh, in my brain, it was Paul's idea. He came with a piece of paper. <laughs> it was just a great way we used to work. I'm not sure. Just, uh, it could have been mine. I'm not sure whether I, <laughs> I want to take the blame for it, you know. Um, I, we were all in on it. But it, a lot of that stuff at that time could have been my ideas because I was coming up with a lot of sort of concepts like, you know, Sergeant Pepper and we could pretend to not be. And I'm not saying it was my album. Obviously, we all worked on all the stuff, but I was coming up with a lot of ideas. Legend has it that Paul, who, like all of the Beatles, wasn't able to write musical notation, spent a long time humming what he wanted the four hired brass men to play in a session on the 4th of May. Slightly fed up, they were sent to the canteen for tea, while George Martin transcribed Paul's ideas onto paper, ready for the quartet to overdub when they came back. The results brought the song to life.
Another rare acetate of Take 9 of Magical Mystery Tour, now with its distinctive trumpets in place. The 9th of May saw several hours of instrumental jamming in Studio 2, with only a quarter of an hour actually committed to tape. The Beatles did, at this time, drift around a little, searching for inspiration after the mammoth efforts of the Sgt Pepper sessions. Having now become accustomed to spending weeks or months recording a song, an all-night session on the 11th and 12th of May, this time at Olympic Sound Studios in southwest London, also home to the Rolling Stones, saw the Beatles' next track recorded and mixed from start to finish in just six hours. mono mix of Baby You're a Rich Man. Take 12, consisting of John on piano, Paul and George on percussion, and Ringo on his trusty Ludwig kit, was considered best. Added to this were overdubs of Paul's bass, 
lead and backing vocals, and hand claps, possibly featuring Mick Jagger, who was a guest at this session. After a reduction to a fresh tape, Ringo's single snare hits, McCartney and Harrison on electric guitar, and a distinctive claviolene, an early form of synthesizer played here by John, saw the recording finished. A single mono remix was made for release as a B-side in the UK. The song would not be included in the Magical Mystery Tour film, but would end up in another film project, Yellow Submarine, the deal for which would be announced in a couple of weeks' time. Perhaps inspired by the instant recording of the previous night at Olympic Studios, another track, also destined for the Yellow Submarine movie, was started and finished in a single session on the 12th of May. This time, back in the more familiar surrounds of Abbey Road Studio 2. Altogether now, this is a copy of the Master Remix. tape copy of the mono master of Paul's All Together Now, the song which would eventually provide the Yellow Submarine movie's happy and childlike sing-along ending. Considered a bit of a throwaway number, nine takes were all that were needed to capture Paul and George's acoustic guitars, John's harmonica and Ringo's drums for the basic track. Overdubs of bass and vocals, as well as backing vocals and percussion from a host of unnamed guests and musicians, saw the track completed. The 25th of May saw the beginning of another new song from George, again destined for the Yellow Submarine film and future LP soundtrack. Four takes of the backing track laid the foundations for overdubs of George's lead vocal, backing vocals from John and Paul, 
and various percussion overlays on the 31st of May. Two days later, a horn section was added and the recording was complete. All too much, this is a copy of the Astrodex. <laughs>
the original mono remix of It's All Too Much, clocking in at just over eight minutes. The song would later be edited down for use on the Yellow Submarine animated film and subsequent LP release. On the 1st of June 1967, this time at Delane Lee Studios in London, the Beatles gathered to capture a series of untitled instrumental jams, described by Mark Lewison, author of the Complete Beatles Recording Sessions, as unplanned, highly tedious and downright amateurish, with bass guitar, organ, heavily reverbly guitar, drums and tambourine, even guitar strings being scraped. The recordings from this day still languish on the tape shelves of EMI, probably never to be heard again. Another song which had been started in late May 1967 would wait nearly three years to be released. home recording of John composing You Know My Name, Look Up the Number. Inspired by seeing a phone book standing up on Paul's home piano while visiting, John wrote the number with just one line, to be repeated, as he later described, like a mantra. Despite ending up as the comical B-side of the Let It Be single in March 1970, the vast majority of the track was recorded in May and June of 1967. Made up of five parts with distinctive musical styles and flavours, the pieces would be edited together at a later date.
Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time as the Beatles prepare to change the world yet again with a song whose recording would be seen live by millions of people in every corner of the globe. Until next time, 